Hi, I'm Joanna Chaundy and you're listening to Baggy Jeans, the podcast, where I chat to the female music artists who made the 90s R&B era so unforgettable. We take a nostalgic look back at the music, the videos and the fashion. So whether you're a newbie to this genre or just want to remember how great it was, tune into Baggy Jeans, where I unpick the seams of 90s R&B. My guest this week is London-born artist Gabrielle, whose career has spanned almost three decades. She started as an R&B artist and successfully crossed over into mainstream pop. This widened her fan base and made her one of the most popular British female singers since the 90s. She's just released a new album called Do It Again, which features the covers she sang on the TV show The Masked Singer. I caught up with Gabrielle for the first time in years. You're looking fabulous. And so are you, my darling. My God, how do you not age? What cream are you yeah, using? I, I'm aging, trust me. <laughs> Mate, honestly, you don't look a day older from when I interviewed you about 15 oh, years ago. Oh, my God. Oh, you're a darling, but no, I'm definitely... I, I'm a biddy now, but I'm embracing my biddiness. Maybe if we start off by you telling the listeners how you actually got your break in music because your first single obviously catapulted you into stardom with dreams so tell us a bit about how how that came about oh my gosh so I initially how I became catapulted <laughs> with so many moons ago <laughs> right so um, it really started out that I was singing in a, a club called Moonlight in Greek Street I've been singing Luther Vandross cover songs having a ball and just being content with my lot at the time there are a few others like me who were singing and just enjoying it. But there were some amazing singers. So I never, ever expected that I would go on to to make anything of it just because the competition was fierce. I was just, I just felt honoured to be allowed to grace the stage. So then I was approached, no, I actually went to a studio with a friend of mine and we we went to the studio to record another song that I'd written. And it was basically when I left, there was two producers and they secretly had spoken, uh, you know, and asked, you know, so they said to my boyfriend, basically, we'd like Gabrielle to come on her own and, um, and and do a track with us. And I fell out of my friend. It's really bad. I fell out of her. And it's not that I was a bad friend, but in those days, I actually had only Luther Van Dross as a backing track. My friend at the time, she had her own music. She had her own record and I didn't. So I wanted mine. So I went back to the studio. But at the time, they'd given me Tracy Chapman's Fast Car and said, could you write something over that? And I was like, of course I can. Went home, didn't do a thing because I'm a naughty cow. Uh, on the train down, I um, started writing, no, just trying to piece together the poem that I'd had. I had this book, my little famous book, I call it, of songs, poems, and literally got to the studio, had decided on the train that I was going to piece together the poem of dreams to Trace Chapman's Fast Car, Blagged it throughout that day, just piecing it together, doing a vocal. Dreams, as we know, it was born. But at that time, it was done to Tracy Chapman's Fast Car. And um, basically, I ended up going around the country singing, um, singing Dreams, um, because I, you know, the song had become a bit big on the underground music scene. And then my record company at the time, Govit Records, they heard the song, literally tracked me down, and said, you know, we'd like to sign you. And um, I was signed, but only for a one single deal at the time. People don't know this. And um, the song blew up. And at the time, I actually didn't think it would. 
because of the fact that it had been it had its own little mini release, but not an official one. And I just thought, who's going to buy this? Everyone seems to have it. How wrong I was, and gratefully so. And um, yeah, the rest is history. Very crazy. So are you are you telling us, Gabs, <laughs> that you blagged your way into the music industry? <laughs> <Shh>. <laughs> I feel like I've been blagging ever since. (laughs) Well, if you have been, you've been doing it very bloody well, let me tell you. (laughs) Lovely. But Dreams, I mean, it it was so, so big and it's got such an iconic sound, even to this day. I mean, did you have any idea how big it was going to be? Honey, if I had an idea like that, I'd I'd be, I don't know, I'd be like, I don't know, who's the like the biggest person on the planet? I wish I'd had that notion, but I'm glad I didn't. So it became a pleasant surprise. You know, when I'm making music, I love what I do. I don't do it on the premise that this is going to be a hit. I do it and I hear it. And if it's a song that I've done, I've written and I'm pleased with it, then I'm just super excited. As to what's going to happen, you don't know. And you just got to, whatever will be, will be. So the fact that when it you know, it was released, it went straight in at number two, then number one, and then the buzz around it was, oh my God, this is the highest ever debut song by a debut artist. I'm like, what? So I, it was amazing. So I I didn't have a clue at all, but really excited that because of that, I'm still here 28 years later. You know, it's like, oh my God, but I had no clue. And it's probably a good thing. So you said that it came from a poem that you wrote. Was that something that you were doing a lot of um, before you got into music then? Yeah, I mean, from a young age, I had this amazing um, English teacher, English literature. I think her name was Miss Fieldhouse or Fieldmouse. But I think it's more Fieldhouse than Fieldmouse. Fieldmouse. <laughs> but she was amazing. And um, it was uh, all because, you know, back in those days when you're at school, well, they probably still do it now, you know, they're, they're making look at poems, things by Keats, you know, and, and stuff like that. And while it's all beautiful and old, and but it, I couldn't relate to it. And the moment my teacher said, you know what, um, what about, how about trying to write your own poems? That was it, I was off. I took that and ran. And so, you know, my songs came about that way, but I never used to say there were songs, I'd say like my little poem, but I'd sing it. And um, Dreams was actually written as a poem. It was like a little poem. It was everyone, or it says, oh, what a beautiful, it's like a love song. But although it's a love song, it was a love song for me. And it was about, for example, the, the opening lines of Dreams, it's um, move a step closer, you know that I want you. Move a step closer, you know that I want you. I can tell by your eyes that you want me to. Just a question. I couldn't relate to it. And the moment my teacher said, you know what, um, what about, how about trying to write your own poems? That was it. I was off. I took that and ran. And so, you know, my songs came about that way. But I never used to say there were songs. I'd say my little poem, but I'd sing it. And um, Dreams was actually written as a poem. It was like a little poem. It was everyone always says, oh, what a beautiful, it's like a love song. But although it's a love song, it was a love song for me. And it was about, for example, the, the opening lines of Dreams, it's um, move a step closer, you know that I want you. I was actually having so much stress around, you know, wanting to sing, singing at a club where people would make you 
you know, believe that you could have these dreams. And every time I felt I'd approach it, it was almost like somebody was dangling an apple. And as they, you know, I every time I moved closer, it, my dream of maybe just singing would, would just to me just feel like it was a bit out of my reach. So the opening lines, but it, is, it was more to do with my state of mind and the fact that so many promises have been broken and just feeling down on my luck. And although I ended up writing it and it appears to be a love song, and I say, when you listen to it songs are about whatever it is you want it to be about and in my case that's what I wrote about it but yeah so through poetry you know that's how my my lyrics came about you know there were poems that, yeah, that's just- fascinating because I mean you had the good sense from day one then to write and co-write your own songs which a lot of artists um especially artists that are, were part of groups and not solo yeah. artists never did and back in the 90s it it kind of was more about let's let's be famous and let's let's do this and people had no idea you know the ins and outs of what went on in record companies so do you think you learned a lot from from back then to now do you know something definitely but I also believe I was really lucky because the record company that signed me at the time it was Go Beat Records and part of Godis which is the big one who had the beautiful South Paul Weller and people like that so I felt I was in a great um, establishment but at the same time they were a smaller company and what happened was that I was fortunate to be signed to them because as a female I wasn't looked upon as a product of oh you know we'll get someone to write for you and you know you don't have a say in the matter it was a case from the first time I met them why I wanted to sign to them was they treated me like a person it was about what do you want how how and where do you see yourself and and I realize now that I don't think you know especially when you hear of the the things that happen especially as time has gone on and now people whether it's the me too of you know I'm not I'm not talking about the assaults and stuff but when you think about just behind the scenes being a new artist being a female things people enjoy I suddenly realized I've been through things, but I've been very fortunate because from the get go, I was, you know, viewed by my label as a singer songwriter. So they weren't getting people in to say and, and say, right, write Gabrielle's song. Gabrielle, myself, was writing my own songs and it's all I knew. And it was a fun thing to do, but it was natural. And it, it wasn't until later that I'd find out that, oh my God, you know, you actually didn't, you know, naturally when you're young, you, you feel that the world's on your shoulders. And if you've got a complaint, I probably wasn't the most easiest artist. But at the same time, I realized how easy it was in the sense I was allowed to do my thing. I was allowed to write my songs and just be me to express myself any which way that I wanted to. And and now looking back, I think I'm eternally grateful to that. But I think for that, but I think it's because of my label. I was lucky. I realised super lucky. So, yeah, so that, you know, just being able to write and knowing, you know, that's my that's my livelihood. You know what I mean? The idea of writing songs or singing songs that other people have written, which is great. But then, you know, how would I be able to look after myself? You know, that's my pension. That's that's my art and my talent. And now I super appreciate it that, you know, I was able to do that. And and, and know, also you've been, because of that, you've been able to appreciate being able to do covers because you have written your own songs. Exactly. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I've got to this stage of my life and after The Masked Singer, 
having, you know, doing this album and it's an album of covers. If you'd said, oh, you're going to be doing an album of covers, I would have run off and told you to get lost. Um, because of the fact, I always felt that when people did covers or an album of covers, it meant that your career was going down south. And then it, honestly, I used to be like, I'm not going to do that. And then what happened with The Masked Singer, it was just a case of, um, oh my gosh, you know, I'm enjoying these songs. These are songs I wouldn't normally sing. And how about, you know, just doing a, a, a covers album containing some of those and then doing some of my favorites. And how about throwing in two new tracks, which I'd written so people can still see that I do my writing. That's that's me and just having a lot of fun with it. So it's just been incredible. And like, it, it's my art and, and I love that. And, you know, covers now say they're not a bad thing. And, and, you know, the fact that I'm 28 years in the business, okay, it's okay to do a covers album, you know what I mean? I'm at peace with it, but I'm loving it. I love this new album. I'm I'm proud of it. I've had a lot of fun because of it and with it. So I'm looking forward to touring it this year. So um, just so much fun. So now I'm like, oh, it's okay. I got that off my chest, a covers album. Probably won't have another one for many years, but I'm excited. There's nothing wrong with them now. <laughs> Absolutely nothing wrong with them, especially from you. Um, the very first album you released, Find Your Way, um, it, it did have a very strong 90s R&B feel That's to right. it. That's when you right. listen to the beats and you listen yeah. to the sound, it's kind of that up, up you know, up tempo, positive, happy kind of R&B sound. Um, and you also won, um, you know, best newcomer of R&B yeah. female. Um, at the Black Music Awards back then as well. Which 90s R&B artists were you really into back then? I mean, who was really inspiring you? And did did you go into that first album wanting to do R&B? Because this is what the funny thing is. And, you know, the, the whole idea of R&B, I love R&B, but I'm a pop girl. I was an 80s pop child. We're talking about, as much as I love Michael Jackson and Diana Ross and people like that, imagination in fact but then I was to haircut 100 Adam and the Ants Madonna do you know what I mean and it was like you know culture club so I was a big 80s pop fan and so and and then by the time I'd come out into the musical scene we had Missy we had SWV I you know and and you know a lot of those pop R&B bands at the time it was incredible to watch a lot more American ones but for me in the UK our our um how would I say our our R&B girls, but they were more poppy. They were eternal. Do you know what I mean? With the Americans, like I said, they had SWV, they had Mary J. Blige, um, and on Vogue. And, you know, and it was exciting, but in, I never saw myself as an R&B person. You know what I mean? I love R&B, but I always felt, you know, when I talk about blagging, like when people say, oh, Gabrielle, soul sing, I'm like, no, we've got some amazing soul singers here. will probably scratch my eyes out if you say that in front of them because they, they, they've got fabulous voices. I always saw myself as a pop singer, but I do love R&B. I do love that old soulful sound. Hence why, you know, I did songs like Give Me Give me a Little More Time, you know, and, and you know. I love that song. My One of my favourite videos is Give Me a Little More Time. I absolutely love the video for that. It's amazing. And so it's a case of I can do my soulful R&B and, and of the 90s, we we had so many, you know, Teddy Riley, you know, we had all that. Oh, come on. It was amazing. You know, I was even hearing a record. I'm like, oh, my God, they were really young. It's like Chris. Um, is it um, Chris, Cro Chris Cross? Chris uh, Cross. Yeah. Jump. And I'm like, I can't believe that. They were like young kids. So there was just so many different, you know, boys to men. The list is endless. You know, we had Aaliyah. We had TLC. I could go on. And I was so in love with all the music that was happening. So, yes, you had the pop, which I love. But then the R&B was incredible. And it's like, wow, you know, 
You definitely, you definitely had twists of R and B within That's some of your songs. No, definitely. Um, for example, like with the first album, there was a guy called Jonathan Douglas, Johnny Douglas. He he produced for Eternal. I know later on he'd gone on to work with George Michael, but he did a lot of those sounds. You know what I mean? So he he gave me that R and B edge, and I loved it. And he was just young and cool, and we were young and upcoming at the time. And I do love it. And I hear it. And I'm like, oh my god, those are the times. Does it give you a warm feeling when you listen to that? Completely, because that's my youth. That's, you know, now I realise, oh, my God, that was a long time ago. But it was fun. And, you know, life was just so different. And music was just music was everything. It's still everything. But even more so then I was young. I was, you know, I, I was this young girl had dreams of singing, but not necessarily being a singer because of the way I looked. But you could immerse yourself into a world of music. And- but, I mean, you say you say because of the way I looked, you know, in a and I, which is bizarre to me because you put a statement the minute you came out with the, you know, the bejeweled eye patch and yeah. you were different. And it was quite a bold statement as a female back then no, to no. look the way that you did in the videos. You were very yeah. unique, which <laughs> is what made you stand out. So did you choose to wear the outfit, say, in Dream, was that all your choice or did the record company well, no, guide I, you? I, I, I tell you what, um, I had a stylist and the stylist, the record company put me together with a stylist and makeup artist. I, Pat McGrath was my first ever makeup artist, yes. No way. Yes, yes way. And um, after Pat, so and then I had, so it was Kate Garner producing that video from formerly of Hazy Fantasy and I, Eight, hopefully 80s pop thing amazing um I had a woman called Jane Howe was like an amazing stylist who'd worked for ID and then the woman responsible for my eye patch was a woman called Corinna Pike who the record company actually didn't um set me up with her a friend of had introduced me to her and by the time I got signed and she then did the meeting with the label and said look you know Gary was young, young at the time. Um, you know, the problem my eyelid was that we wanted me to appear, you know, to be at my most confident, which was having my lazy eyelid on the show throughout my whole life. People would come up, what's the matter with your eye? You know, and strangers, like, and so I wasn't that confident. And there was Corinna coming with this idea, this concept of she has the eye patch, she's very beautiful, she can be confident. And um, she, as a newbie, I could be sitting on the couch with whoever the radio, TV or whoever it was, whatever I was doing promotional wise, and people wouldn't feel that I was this young upstart who thought highly of myself, wanting to wear, you know, big sunglasses, whatever, although it would have been for the concealment of my lazy eyelid, but it meant I could have the eye, you know, the eye contact with, uh, you know, whoever was interviewing me, as opposed to just being completely closed off. And although my eye now is covered for my hair, but I still got that direct eye contact. And that was the best thing that happened. I remember my mum being, oh, my God, why do you have to bring attention to this? But um, it was the best thing. I felt powerful the moment. And when I talk, talk to you about, you know, the way I looked, I think growing up and, and you know, never seeing anybody on TV who looked like me or re- represented me or you know it was always the traditional way of how women should look and there I was Gabrielle I just kind of kicked everything into touch I had my short hair you know the finger waved hair I had this eye patch and yes from the moment I burst onto the scene I was aware of how different and how powerful it was because I felt powerful and I think had that 
I had patch not been in place, I probably wouldn't be the same person. I don't know, because like you said, it's really weird. It's like going in, going into that fire in the sense of most people would be like, you've got a lazy eyelid. How can you draw even more attention to that? And but I did it, but I am not afraid. I wasn't afraid, and I was not afraid to talk about my eyelid. And the way it looked was so strong. And, you know, people say iconic. And even to this day, I'll turn on the TV or somebody's sent me a little screen grab of some question that's like, what 90s pop star had the iPad? I'm like, that was me. So, you know, these are things that now I look back, I'm like, it was incredible. And I'm glad that it happened that way. And, and even if it's something that empowers women, it's, just, it's a simple thing. But, you know, if it empowers people, it empowers women. But I love the way that it did empower people because I was having, um, how would I say, I'd have letters from mothers who had children who had problems with their eye, eyes and had to wear an eye patch or, or if they didn't have an eye. And although I've got two eyes and one of them is a bit lazy, I always look like I'm half asleep. But the idea, there was somebody like myself on TV being confident, having this eye patch and, and wearing it with passion and not feeling, you know, with nothing to be afraid or ashamed of, which you shouldn't be. And the idea now, I love the fact that, you know, it's celebrating differences before we never had, you know, the Paralympics or stuff like that. And now we have people doing things that they wouldn't even imagine could be done and being successful, at it, but not being traditional in look. And so what made you, I mean, I mean, because everyone always talks about the eye patch. I guess <laughs> dreams, dreams were so huge. And obviously you yes. wore that the patch in the video, but you actually didn't wear the patch in like very many other of your videos. You you did the yeah. hairstyle. Yeah. So wh- when did you make that conscious decision? Like, did you think maybe the attention would be a little bit too much on it if you carried on? No, you know, so that I don't even think that it was a deliberate thing to stop wearing the eye patch. It just became a natural progression. So, you know, I, I wore the eye patch for the first campaign. And by the time I got a new hairdresser, it was a case of, well, how about, you know, having hair cover your eyes? I'm, oh, how does that work then? You know, and it just, it was, it was amazing. And don't get me wrong, it's, I know it's annoying to a lot of people. Um, even with my daughter growing up, I laugh because she'll do pictures. She'll draw pictures of me. And it's like how she sees me, with just my hair and one eye coming out, you know, and it's hilarious. I think one day I'd like to come back with it. I, I won't say when, but I had a lot of fun. But there were it, at times it was a nightmare, but maybe for the cheaper ones, I, I'd have one and I, I'd start singing and a few songs in, I'd start sweating and then ping off. Yeah, you've got an audience of how many? And it got to the stage where we'd have to have like spares behind my, my monitor. And in the end, I, it was a case of, you know what, this is too much. So it's just best that I, um yeah, had... Stick with the hair, that's so funny. Yeah, hair, but yeah, it's funny. So one of your um, other singles, well, that you featured on, obviously, was uh, the cover you did with then Boy Bandy 17 um, with Shy's version of If You Ever Fall In Love. Were you familiar with Shy back then? You know something, not really as familiar. They they were a group, I'd heard the name, and it wasn't until Brian Harvey, that's the song that him and E17 had been singing. And... By the time we'd recorded it, I mean, initially, we'd just gone to France to do, at the time, there was a TV show in France that I think all, you could only do it if you were doing singing duets. And Brian Harvey and E17 were singing, you know, a shy song because Brian's voice is 
just exceptional. Yeah, and he's yeah. very big on his R&B. Yeah, he was oh, incredible. And um, so, no, I think Shy wasn't something, you know, their music, um, bar maybe one song, I didn't really know their stuff. And so then for us to record that song, do it in in France and then come back and it was a case of, oh, we should make a single. We should do it as a single. And I bit their hands off because I'm an East London. I was born in East London, although not raised. But I loved East, you know, East 17. Incredible. And um, so the opportunity to work with them, it was so much fun. And um, they are and were incredible guys to work with. And I'm glad that, you know, if I was ever going to have done a duet, they were the best people for me to work with. I mean, I think we went to number two with that song. Or, you know, yeah, I remember it being huge back it then. Huge, and, I, and I, I just loved it. I, I saw the video again recently, and I just, I thought, oh my god, we were so young, but it was so much fun. So no regrets there, just pure joy. Oh, fantastic! Now you've got two kids, I believe, right? I do. Have you noticed how nineties fashion has done a full circle and come back in? <laughs> You know something, it's funny, whether it's 90s music or 90s fashion, it's a case of, I'm telling my kids, you know that's not original, right? Or that was in my time, completely. And it's funny because like with kids, I'm sure we were all the same. We think we know it all. And it's a case, I love bursting the bubble, saying, actually, this is, you know, we were doing that and we had that. And so, um, but it is weird. But you know what? It just shows how great things are and good things will always come back around. And I think that's the long and short of it. The 90s fashion, the 80s fashion, I still feel, you know, it's, it's been creeping in. And I, I pulled out a cape the other day. It's um, one by Alice Templey. And I remember I wore it a few years ago. I don't care. I'll wear things time and time again. But it's got like gold buttons I remember meeting a friend in Covent Garden and someone saying oh that's very 80s and I was secretly chuffed so obviously to have you know like 90s things and stuff like that it's just fun and I I love the fact that you know we, we can just embrace whatever era it is and who I don't believe in following fashion I feel just follow your heart and do do whatever you like I've spoken to a few people um from this well American artists their biggest claim to fame always seems to be appearing on top of the pops oh my gosh that's an institution and I cannot believe that they dare take that off our screens you know growing up and watching top of the pops and never ever imagining that I would one day be gracing you know the stage of you know at top of the pops it was incredible and that's like a rite of passage and I think that for me you felt like you made it when you'd done Top of the Pops and it was a case of I just remember going there and you know from being this side of the screen suddenly being behind the scenes or being in front of the camera and it was just mesmerizing and you know you'd look over and somebody else who was super famous was there and you you know and you'd have to try and not kind of be not you'd you have to try and remain cool and not want to be like oh and you must have done Top of the Pops loads of times. Loads of times. Loved every minute of it. I remember when um, Rise went to number one, because that went straight to number one. I was like, oh, my God. 
But um, I remember it being at number one and I felt like, oh my God, people are gonna get bored of me because they were like, okay, we'll do an acoustic version this week. Okay, we'll do a piano version. You know, it just felt like it was it was hilarious. Or we'll do it with the choir. They probably probably didn't have it with choir, but that's what it felt like. And what 90s music do you still listen to now if you throw on some old school? Oh my god, it's it's hard because I have like a lot of the, you know, like I'm ter- no, I'm not terrible. I, this is how it is. You know, when you had all the now music and then you had the, the 90s RB stuff. So you, you know, I, I'm so into you and all, all that. No, that's the song title, not the ballet. But you know, so it's more like I've got like the it on like the collective thing. What is it like then? It's not now, but it's like the pure R- swing. Exactly, all of those. So I remember doing a thing the other day where I had Bobby Womack, I had Womack and Womack, you know what I mean? I was listening to a bit of Tina Turner and that's more 80s and going it and by the 90s. But for me, if I'm listening to it, it wouldn't be like the albums. It's for me, it was always like the, the compilation. That's it, the compilation. Compilations. Yeah. I know my brother's like, have you got any old CDs? And I remember that I, there's certain ones I won't give because I know I won't get it back. So, yeah, so it's just that's how it is for me. So yeah. And your album that, that you've got out now, Do It Again, um, uh, something you've managed to successfully do, Gabrielle, is have longevity. And I mean, you even managed to take a 10 year break and, and come back as if nothing. You know, like literally when you came back, it was like, oh, she's never been away. So, what do you think is the secret with that? Oh, my oh my gosh. You know, something, I wouldn't even say that I know the secret. I think that it's just been my amazing audience. I've just been allowed to, you know, I, I was away, like you say, 10, 11 years in between albums. And rude. Yeah, I might <laughs> be rude. It's so true. Oh my god, no. I think you're my twin from something else. Um basically, um when I came back, the reception was incredible. Everyone was like, Why have you been away for so long? And it although I was still performing and doing shows, but in terms of albums, it, I didn't even be, I couldn't believe that I'd taken so long. The fact that this album came out, you know, this year, it was only a three-year gap. And the fact that, yeah, we end up being in lockdown. But now I've just got my eye on the prize of the fact that, yes, I was away for so long, forgotten how much I love doing this. And then, you know, now that we're easing out of lockdown and I've got tour tour dates in November where I'm headlining my own shows, I've got um, shows in the summer doing festivals. I'm like, oh, my God, I need to keep channeling out the music so I can have new stuff every time to go out there and perform to people. People are going to get fed up if I don't bring out new music. And I'm just trying to sing the same, even though they're old songs that people tell me that they love, but I love now to just be able to keep adding to that. What can I say? I think it's, I think it's a genius move doing a, a, an album with the covers from Mars Singer because their audience is massive. When I did those songs and on such a huge platform, you know, um, it, I just fell in love with them. I mean, I love them anyway. To, but to be able to then come out and then put them on an album, people are so complimentary. Uh, and for me, this album does represent me. Now, hopefully through this album and new stuff that I keep doing, people will just be like, yeah, that's Gabrielle, you know, don't expect me to just do one genre of music because, you know. Maybe that's the secret to the longevity yeah. then. I haven't done this on my own. I couldn't do this on my own without the audience coming, coming to watch me do the shows, you know, streaming my music or buy my music. 
I'd be at home doing boring stuff and I'm glad to be kind of doing, you know, what I do. And like I said, the longevity, I cannot take full credit for that. If people want me, I'm there. When they don't want me, that's when I'll probably disappear. But I'll ask Well, them. I can't imagine a time when, when we wouldn't <laughs> want Gabrielle. And I want to thank you massively for being such a great artist that's come out of, of London. Yeah, and yeah. as always, I always say to people, uh, yeah, I, you know, interview Gabrielle. She's a good old girl, proper London girl. <laughs> Love her. She's London, great. Exactly. London girl, born and raised. And it's like, yeah, that's my life. That was the wonderfully eloquent Gabrielle, chatty as ever. Join me, Joanna Chaundy, next week, where I talk to an artist who shook up the 90s with her bold and risque image. I need a freak in the morning, a freak in the evening. I need a roughneck brother that can satisfy me. What's up, family? It's your girl, Adina Howard. Join me for the Baggy Jeans podcast. It's going down. This is where they keep the 90s party going.